Hi, my name is Richard Pickering and I work at Cushman and Wakefield. Welcome to the 188th edition of Futures Cut, where I offer an opinion on the evolving role of real estate in a world of technological, social and business change. Today we're talking about the challenges and opportunities of hybrid working. Freedom Day will mark a significant milestone in the fight against Covid. It's the point that the government, and to a lesser degree the scientists, feel that the threat of the virus is sufficiently subdued that we can start to live a pretty much normal life again. This means the end of restrictions around mask wearing and social distancing, the reopening of nightclubs and the ability to meet in large groups. Basically everything's back on. Importantly, this also includes the government dropping its advice that those who can do so should work from home. Corporates across the UK will have been planning for this event for some time now. The fact that Freedom Day was due to be this week means that even if they aren't yet published, policies are likely to have been drafted and signed off. In most cases, this will involve asking employees to return to the office in some shape or form, ramping up from the 19th of July. In most cases, it seems this will take the form of flexible or hybrid working. The important implication is that for most employees, this therefore means flexible and hybrid living. It's impossible to look at work in isolation of life. In today's blog, I consider the complexities around hybrid living, probably the biggest shift in how people conduct their lives in modern history. Is this a a road paved with productivity and freedoms? And if so, what will employers and employees have to give up to achieve it? And of course, what does this mean for real estate? First, a few points of clarity. At the top of the list, um, and per previous podcasts on this subject, this doesn't actually apply to most people, because most people, teachers, bus drivers, nurses, etc., don't work in an office and have an absolute requirement for physical presence in their workplace. Secondly, there are many definitions of hybrid working, the more aspirational being the equivalent of shopping's omnichannel model, connect and transact anywhere using multiple channels. Now, this may be true for some, but for most it will simply involve spending some days at home and some days at the office. It's binary for a couple of reasons. Firstly, most people find it really difficult to work in a coffee shop or a park, and most don't have flex space memberships to allow for ad hoc drop-ins. So for most, it will be home or the office. And secondly, most people won't carve their day into smaller units due to the inconvenience of travel, so morning and afternoon shifts are less likely than full day ones. Let's consider the challenges. There are many inefficiencies to hybrid working that need to be addressed as part of a well-thought-through policy. So here's a few. Firstly, doubling up. Doing work regularly in at least two places, in theory, means that you need double the equipment. If you used to spend a day a fortnight working from home, you could probably make that work using your laptop, flicking through spreadsheets using that terrible red mouse or tracker pad thing on your laptop keyboard whilst perched on your dining chair squinting at a 13-inch screen. If you're working three days a week at home permanently, you'll need a full setup with mouse, keyboard, monitor and chair. And you'll need the same again in the office. Now granted, hot desking may mean that it isn't double, but businesses will inevitably need to buy in more equipment. The second point is hot desking. So speaking of which, if you now work three days a week at home, don't expect your private cubicle with pictures of your children and your favourite pot plant to be there when you pitch up at the office. In the medium term, the inevitable uh, shift for most businesses will be to increase utilisation through desk sharing. This is the sacrifice that hybrid workers will need to make. Thirdly, missing out. 
So whilst policies have moved on, the same is not likely to be true of management styles. It takes more thoughtful management to lead a hybrid workforce. This includes ensuring that all members of the team are engaged and can collaborate regardless of where they are that day. A few difficult managers who don't approve of homeworking are likely to actively undermine hybrid working implementation. A great deal more are likely to passively undermine it through failure to adjust their style to accommodate the new status quo. In some cases, this may well lead to an unintended full return to the office for those who fear missing out on career development opportunities. Fourthly, planning ahead. Hybrid working has come about largely as a talent retention initiative. However, many businesses will, over the medium term, also view this as a cost reduction opportunity. The challenge is that real estate can only be rationalised if utilisation rates increase significantly. Now, apparently, preferred days in the office of the future will be Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. It's been pointed out to me that there's an acronym of that that could be used to uh, describe hybrid workers of the future. I'll let you figure that one out. Now, if everybody follows this plan, utilisation on Mondays and Fridays will be akin to weekends and the rest of the week will be full occupancy. Hence, the aggregate real estate requirement will be unaffected with no cost-saving opportunity. So whilst there might be some natural or psychological smoothing and random chance at play here, the only real alternative is shift stacking. That means agreeing to come in on different days and at different times. This requires a consideration of who needs to come in at the same time as who, and importantly, who trumps who in choosing their days. And that comes with a compromise. Having such rigid plans also takes a chunk of the flexible out of flexible working. The next point is unexpected changes to plan. Now, even if you manage to put all of this in place, what happens if a client or senior colleague calls asking for a meeting on one of your homeworking days? After all, they probably won't have the same homeworking days as you. Some clients may be happy to accept a remote call, others might not. And the employee then needs to make the call on whether to go into the office after all. I suspect that most will choose or be required to do so. This, combined with my previous point, will, I believe, lead to people being in the office much more than they initially planned to be. The next point was meetings. We've become used over the past year to having a series of thumbnail videos of those attending a meeting. And that's led to actually quite positive developments like agile screen sharing, meeting chat, and being able to put your virtual hand up to join a discussion. Not always something that's possible in a room full of domineering voices. If, say, half of the attendees of a meeting in the future are remote, will the others go into a meeting room or will they dial in from their desks? What's the tipping point? And if the physically present employees go to the meeting room, will each join via their own laptop or as a large group from a central screen? If the latter, then the virtual hands-up, chat functionality and ad hoc screen sharing um, options will then only be a privilege of the remote group, won't it? In short, it strikes me that hybrid working raises many new questions that don't have great answers. The uncertainty that it creates will then bleed into our home lives to become hybrid living. A few examples of that. Firstly, commuting. The reason that most people want a degree of homeworking in their schedule is to avoid commuting. However, there are significant unit cost penalties to travelling less frequently that won't result in a pro rata spend reduction. The new flexible season tickets announced this week, allowing for up to eight days of travel per month, that must, I guess, envisage two days a week in the office, do not offer the same discount or unlimited use as a traditional season ticket. 
There are also likely to be fewer services as operators mark capacity to demand. Now, if many people end up under-budgeting the time they will spend in the office, as I have suggested, they run the risk of in fact being worse off and with more cramped trains. A further point is organisation and planning. In a 100% office-based model, things like childcare and pickup arrangements are quite simple. When you don't know where you're going to be at different points in the week, school drop-offs, etc. will require more planning and adaption. I predict an increase in phone calls from the school reminding parents that Junior hasn't been picked up, when each parent perhaps thought that the other was doing this as part of their homeworking day and both had made a call to work late in the office. Another point is amenity. If fewer people are spending time in CBDs during the week, which feels inevitable, then some amenities will suffer and disappear. In particular, amenities used every day, such as sandwich or coffee shops, are in that frame. This will mean less choice for office workers. I reject the same argument, however, for semi-frequent amenity. Hairdressers, bars, destination shops, etc., which people visit once a week or once a month, will remain in demand, because people will logically adapt their schedule to visit these on one of their office working days, rather than reduce their demand. So what does all this mean for those working in real estate? I'll offer a few concluding thoughts. Firstly, those that manage workplaces are in for one of the most challenging, dynamic and potentially exciting times of their careers as new practices flush through. In recent years, we've talked about real estate becoming a C-suite focus, but that has never been more true than now. Real estate professionals will need to operate hand in glove with HR and operations teams and those on the board setting corporate strategy and culture. The second point I'd make is it's that it's dangerous to see things in the binary. We all probably have our own view on what our preferred work model of the future will look like. What's become clear in the past months is, firstly, the diversity of opinion on this subject, secondly, the emotions that this elicits on both sides, and thirdly, the need for compromise on all sides if the future of work is to be effective. For most organisations, this will be a middle ground. However, as noted above, the middle ground is often the most difficult space to occupy. It adds complexity and trade-offs which need to be actively managed. If, as a corporate occupier, you aren't thinking beyond the policy, now's the time to do so. And finally, office investors are, of course, eyeing this debate with some interest. Again, it would be easy to assess two days of homeworking as a 40% demand reduction. That, of course simply isn't true due to too many factors to go into here, but do talk to our research team for our full forecasts on the subject. Those who've drawn battle lines in this discussion announce victories each time an occupier goes fully virtual or back to the office five days a week. My addition to this debate is that whatever people's state will be their work from home quota will probably end up being less than that in reality due to some of the inefficiencies outlined above, and we're going to need to wait a while to find out that answer. Okay, that's all for today. Um, if you found this interesting, then why not check out our website, futures.cushmanwakefield.co.uk. See you again soon.